the After Work Drinks Club, a business podcast where I chat with influential movers and shakers, top achievers, and all-round incredible people. We explore how they've got to where they are and how you can too. If you want to level up, go make your order at the bar, pull up a seat at the table, and join in, because you belong here. I'm your host, Vanessa Sanyauke, the founder and CEO of Girls Talk London a global agency that empowers thousands of women to develop the skills and confidence to succeed in their careers and life. So if you're listening on your morning commute with a coffee, working from home with a cup of tea, or joining us for after-work drinks, consider this your time to laugh, learn, and level up. On the podcast today, we have leadership and executive coach, India Gary Martin. Everybody isn't cut out to be an entrepreneur. People will say, go out and start your own business, do your own thing. Okay, here's the first thing. The first thing is make sure you can support yourself for five years without a cent of income. Ask yourself what you're prepared to risk. If you're really all in, you're going to risk something. We downsized and sold our house twice. Who's gonna, if you're not prepared to do some stuff like that, if you have to, I sold my house to pay my payroll when I had to. And so I'm saying that you, you need to be really all in, especially if you're going to employ other people. Hey everyone, welcome back to the After Work Drinks Club. Today, we have the incredible India Gary Martin, a 25-year veteran of the financial services and global executive coach. In her last role, India was the managing director and global chief operating officer for investment banking, technology and operations at JP Morgan. She is a globally recognized leadership expert and coach with a clientele of Fortune 500 and C-suite executives from around the world. She is also a sought-after facilitator, keynote and panel speaker. Some of my favorite things about her are her authenticity, her warmth and especially about how honest and real she is about her work and her journey with entrepreneurship. As you know, this podcast is brought to you by Blue Water and I'm their brand ambassador for this season. And today I'm drinking their ginger ale. So here is a big cheers to you. As always, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to follow and subscribe wherever you are listening. And don't forget to leave a review if you are listening on Apple Podcasts because it helps the podcast and the community grow. India, welcome to the After Work Drinks Club. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to, uh, for our chat today. Um, Thank you. But first of all, um, we ask all of our guests, it's the After Work Drinks Club, and we have a virtual bar. So if you were in a bar, what would you order from the bar right now? And it doesn't have to be alcohol, so it could be soft drink. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're at the bar, I would say yes. <laughs> um, maybe a gin and tonic. Uh, we ask all our guests to toast to their highlight of the year so far. So what would you like to toast uh, to? And we can toast to my that. highlight of the year? Yeah, so far. Uh, my highlight of the year is actually last week when I okay. spoke at the TED Women Conference. Wow. And really how, cool. how was that? What, what, what were you talking cool. about? <clears throat> I was talking about um, what's next for diversity, equity, and inclusion in corporate spaces. Okay. So it was an interesting, it was, yeah, because I think everybody's kind of stuck on this thing. Like, how do we do it? What do we do? And so my talk was on what's next for corporations and businesses in terms of their ability to implement diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies. 
Brilliant. That's amazing. Well, cheers. Well, virtual cheers uh, to that. Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) So I'm I'm really excited to have you uh, on this podcast. So I first heard you speak at the Precious Awards. I don't know if you remember, but this was, I think, 2011. So like almost 10 years ago. And I remember you were the keynote speaker. And I think this was at the time where you, I believe, were working in the financial services. And like your speech, I was like completely blown away. Um, you know, you were just talking about your career and you were talking about how like you'd moved to the Far East and Asia to work. And you were talking about your strategies. And I just found it really inspiring because even though it was only 10 years ago, I'd never really come across a lot of senior black women in the corporate space. And you were just so, as you are, bubbly, warm, friendly, and it was just so inspiring. And then ever since then, I've just been kind of fangirling and, and following your Aww. career. So I'm really excited to to have you. I admire you so much. And um, I just wanted to kind of, yeah, just get some insights into your career, into leadership, what you're doing uh, today. And I wanted to um, start off with your career in the financial services. You've got an extensive career in the financial services. And I just wondered, how strategic were you in sort of looking at your career and the moves that you made, especially the kind of international assignments? I'll say a couple of things. Um, I will say that I was very, like, I always knew that I didn't want to be in one country over the course of my career. And a part of that was driven by the fact that my dad was a diplomat. And so I'd spent a lot of my life in other places. You know, my early life had been, I'd been traveling since I was about maybe nine, nine or 10 years old, I've been spending time in other places. And so that opened up my eyes to the possibilities. And I was really excited about that. And then I thought, oh, I want to travel like this, but I need a job that's going to help me to do that. And and financial services was not my first choice. I originally, actually, when I went into Uh university, I went as a theater major because I wanted to be an actress. But then I thought, I'm not going to be traveling around the world as an actress unless I'm a Hollywood blockbuster. And and most people don't get to that. (laughs) And I wasn't really prepared to do the things I might have needed to do to be able to get to that. So I thought, "Mm, you know, maybe I'll do something different. And and I turned to, I I changed my um, focus in university from... um, from theater to law, because I was like, I'll okay. be a lawyer, because that'll be, you know, doing law would be really interesting. And it's kind of theatrical if you're in a courtroom, you could do some really interesting things. Yeah. Little did I know that that was not fun. I mean, like most of the work is research. <laughs> and yeah, I was like, yeah, mm, yeah. this isn't it either. I actually, and so I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and I fell into financial services by happenstance. It was not because I had any significant plan. Um and so I, but when I, once I got in, the th- there were a couple of things that I figured out really early. One, I wanted to be in the corner office. I wanted to be in charge. That was something that I kind of knew very quickly. I was like, I need to be sitting there because I liked watching how things were moving around these people. And I was like, I want to be one of them. That was one thing, being completely frank. The other thing was that I wanted to be able to travel because I'd had this life where I was early, where, where I was able to kind of see different things in different cultures. And I really fell in love with that. And so I wanted to be able to continue that on somebody else's dime. Um, yeah. And so somebody else's, yeah, somebody else's money. I was that's like, always not my good. How do we do this? Um, and so I, I was strategic around those things. The thing that I wasn't strategic about is what the job was. I let that emerge. I was like, okay. because if you're tr- too prescriptive, you miss things. Right. And so that's I knew key. that my kind of goals were a, kind of senior leadership and be being able to travel. And so everything else was negotiable for me. Those were my two non-negotiables. So I was okay. only strategic in that I wanted to do those two things. Other than that, I was flexible. I think it's interesting you you say that because um, you were previously the managing director and the global COO 
at JP Morgan, if I'm if I'm correct, for investment banking, tech and operations. Mm-hmm. But that was quite, for me, innovative because that was way before, I guess, tech, you know, became sort of a, a big thing as it is today. So was that kind of what drew you to that role? Because that was quite mind-blowing when you think about it. And it was such a big responsibility, 15,000 mm-hmm. staff, 40 global locations, being at that forefront so early on. Mm. How was that? Was that kind of one of those moments? It wasn't really for me. I was old by then. I was, that was not (laughs) for me. I mean, that was, that was, you know, that was my last role. Mm -hmm. I left in 2014. So that was like, you know, only like six or seven years ago. So it was still quite, you know, it was, it it was, it was in the kind of tech space bubble time. Um, But that particular role was for me, the, I'd reached, I'd done what I came to do. Okay. By the time I got to that, right? Yeah. And once I did that, I knew that I, I knew what I didn't want and I knew what I did want. And that was kind of the final thing for me. And once I got to that, I could say, but I'd done what I came to do. And so okay. it opened me up to be able to think about other things. I see, I see. And then in terms of you as a leader and what you've seen, what do you feel or see that leaders get wrong when it comes to leading global teams in the corporate space? Hmm. A lot. Yeah. Where do we start then? <laughs> Where do we start? Yeah. Where do you want to start? Um, I would say cultural intelligence is one. Mm-hmm. Like not really understanding and knowing the cultures, especially on global teams, not really getting to understand the cultures and what that means, what the context is, cultural context is for people in their respective spaces. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the biggest. And I think some of those cultural assumptions are create a lot of noise and a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Um I would say that's probably the biggest. And, and I think that, you know, the thing is people who, people who work in global organizations are less daunted by the leading remote teams thing because we have had to do it forever. Like it's, been, oh, it's yeah, a part it's of true. your job function. So the remote mm-hmm. teams thing isn't, doesn't freak out folks who are in the global, who have to do global capacity roles because often their, their teams are remote. Right. And so um, I would just say that I was going to say remote teams because that's a part of it, but it's not as much of a challenge for those folks who've done that for a long time. So I would stick with the culture answer, probably. Okay, brilliant. And then what would you say you're like as a leader? So thinking about what do you think your past colleagues would say or your current team members would say about you? What are you like? (laughs) A hot mess. (laughs) Aren't we all? (laughs) Yeah. I I would say they would say that I'm really empathetic and that I'm really warm, but that I'm very demanding. Right. I think that's what they would say. They probably say I'm a really nice person. I'm really empathetic, but I have a really high bar. Okay. A and very you, high bar. And has that high bar um sort of helped you climb I guess the the corporate ladder? Is that what kind of set set you apart in terms of being that leadership style? Um I think the thing that probably helped me a lot was that I really have always been really authentically who I am. Like I've <laughs> never tried to play a game, play the game. And when mm-hmm. I say play the game, we all have to, to some extent, but my point is I've always stepped into a room as who I am. Like I've never tried to be like other people because I thought that's what it should be to be successful. I always kind mm-hmm. of had my own lane and I stayed in it. Right. And I, I've always been the outlier and that was okay yeah. for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm good at what I've always been really good at what I do. So okay. if you're going to do that, you need to be good at what you do. And I'm very clear about the fact that I mastered my crafts, whatever that might have been. And I was really good at what I did. And I always had an opinion. Now, that's a really important thing. You don't have okay. to be mean, but you do need to have an opinion. Because if you're a fence sitter, people don't know where you are. I see. 
right? And if you're afraid to take risks, people don't know who you are, right? If you can't take, you got to take some risk um, as you kind of step out there and you have to be authentically who you are. And people often, I find, like when I think about some of my mentees or people who are kind of, you know, going up their career trajectories, a lot of the problem is folks show up as who they think they should show up as instead of who they are. Yeah. Right. They're, they're, yeah. they're putting That's this mask on. And it's something that we all feel like we have to do to some extent. Right. So we don't all want to bring our whole selves to work. You can leave some of that at home. Like, yes. right. It's okay. <laughs> but there's really something about um, authenticity that I think helps a lot. Yeah, I think I think that's quite a, a challenge. I think I suppose getting that balance right, as you as you said. But what would you say? Because not many people all talk about this. But what would you say are your weaknesses, and then how do you navigate these? Um, I have ADHD, and that is a serious weakness. I mean, like yeah. while some people will say neurodiversity is a gift, and I think that it is to some extent because the ability to multitask is amazing. Like mm-hmm. my attention spans five minutes. I, and that's uh, not an exaggeration. Yeah. Right. I can't watch a movie without picking up my phone. I can't do anything for long periods of time. Yeah. And so um the the one of the things I've really had to focus on was staying focused on things, like paying attention, right? And and I'm a big vision, big picture thinker. So my attention to details crap sometimes. And so ah, I have to I like really, I have to really focus on pay attention to the details sometimes because sometimes I miss things because I'm so big picture. I'm so visionary thinker. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I can underestimate the, uh, the challenge around implementation of some of those big ideas because I'm such a like, yeah, it can be done. I, I, I mean, and I'm an optimist, right? So I think anything can be done. I don't yeah. think there's anything that can't be done. And there isn't. It, truthfully, mm-hmm. the question is just how much it's going to cost and how long it's going to take. Yeah, exactly. No, I love that. I love that, honestly, actually. And and so you just, you know, when you're thinking about your teams, then you just make sure, obviously, that you have people that fill in those gaps. Is that I'm taking it? Yeah. I try. I try. I, <laughs> I wanted to also ask when you were in the financial services, like at that time, and I think still today, sort of in terms of being a black professional, black female, you know, very small numbers. Um, and were there any black women or black men who opened doors for you? Um, you know, who sort of gave you a safe space? Like what was that experience like in terms of having people who had your back, who had kind of were, were sort of senior to you or your peers? Did you have that dynamic? <sighs> really early I did really really early in my career but but I would say by the time I was five years five or six years in there wasn't anybody so there wasn't anybody to do that there was you know there wasn't anybody black to do that but what I will say is that you know there were a lot of white men who did frankly okay for me what men I didn't get I didn't get in those roles because of black people. <laughs> I mean, I'm being honest. The roles I got into and the way that I, my trajectory grew was not because of black people. And and one of the things I always say to folks is you know we could be waiting for a long time for somebody who looks like us in the current environment to be in one of those kind of roles. And yeah. so the key thing is looking for the kinds of things that people demonstrate as values and as culture and as behaviors that you want to emulate and, and leverage them. And that's what I had to do because I didn't have any other choice. And I actually wasn't even, I didn't actually even feel like I was, um, in hindsight, it was crazy. But at the mm-hmm. time, that was all I knew. And that's all there was. There wasn't like options. Like, you know, people are talking about all this stuff now. I'm like, oh, you all, y'all got options. Because we didn't. And so I didn't think about, yeah. you know, I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go find somebody to mentor me who's black. There wasn't anybody black to mentor me. And, you know, and and, and so, um, 
And so I got along. I just got on with it. And I figured out how to navigate. And I think that one of the things we underestimate as Black people is our ability to navigate. Like, we've been navigating out of the womb. It doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't forget how to, and people forget when they get into the workplace, they're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? The same way you've been doing it your whole life. Right. And, and uh, that's how you're going to do it. So, and so, you know, and so when I think about, um, there were a couple of, there was a woman called Carla Harris, who was at Morgan Stanley, who was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful mentor to me when I first, like when I was in my graduate program, like early, early, like my first two years or three years. And then there was another woman at the same time named Edith Cooper, who was at Gold, who was now, who finished, I think she retired now, but from Goldman Sachs, who was another person who early on, another black woman who early on really supported me. But, but beyond that, there weren't people, there weren't, as I became more senior in some firms I went into, there were no black people in senior leadership at all. It was me. And so, um, I wasn't, but I didn't look for that per se because I knew that it wasn't there. So what I thought about was how I, like I said, was going to navigate. Yeah, I like that actually. Just thinking about doing, when you when you said about navigating, just doing, you've got the skills already. Sometimes we forget and think and overcomplicate things actually. So yeah, you're right. I'm going to remember that. Interestingly, you've lived You've lived and worked in London. What was that like as sort of like, a, I don't know if you, if you say an expat or someone that was not born and, you know, brought up in London. What was that like coming into that, into, into London? Was it a good experience, would you say? Oh, or? I mean, I grew up my adult life. I spent 20 years in London. I spent most of my adult life, you know, as a grown up person there. Mm-hmm. So that's more home for me than anywhere, to be honest. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. That's good. It's the point at was well, the point at which you really know who you are and know what you want, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I spent all that time there. Um okay. and I I mean I came when I came back to the US, I was almost fifty years old. I mean, like that's and so that's a whole you know, I was already I was I came to London when I think I was twenty eight or something okay. or twenty seven. So I was, you know, I spent my most of my adult years um there. Um what it was like. So my observations, being a Black American gave me an edge, okay. right? Because yeah. I was Black and palatable. Mm-hmm. I was palatable, but I was American. I'm calling it what it is, right? Let's be yeah. realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When I looked around me in all the places that I worked, there were never, there weren't that many Black people at all mm-hmm. in financial services. Um, I will say that that American-ness, even now when I go back there, if you look at the people who are in senior roles, a lot of folks are Americans. There are a lot of Black Americans. Oh, yes. When you think about think it, in about the financial it. services, yes. Yeah, when I'm thinking about the sort of ex, yes, yeah. Right? Most of them yeah. are American. There are some Americans, and then you get like, I'd say you might have your two or three Africans, and then that's it. Mm. Afro-Caribbeans are not anywhere represented, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and I, and I don't make that distinction, but coming to London, I learned to make that distinction because where I come from, Black people are Black people. When you come to London, it's Africans, it's Afro-Caribbeans, it's blah, blah, blah. Everybody has their own distinct category. Yeah. And so I started thinking about things in those distinct categories. And one of the things I found was that Black Americans did really well in London, mm-hmm. right? And then yeah. to some extent, Africans were, but, but, but kind of represented. You get, you know, somebody yeah. in investment banking, somebody in law, whatever. Afro-Caribbeans are nowhere on the map. Yeah. Right. And yeah, that was the thing that I recognized. And I know that I was able to use, frankly, my American privilege, not even black privilege, but American, American privilege, privilege to move yeah. me through. And it didn't, I didn't experience the, some of the same things that my London born colleagues did. Yeah. That Black is colleagues did. Yeah. Being completely honest, because I know that that Americanness made me more palatable to some extent. 
That's interesting because I would have thought it would have had the opposite effect. Like it would have made it harder. Because if you're kind of like, you know, black British, you know, on the soil and then like black black American. I know. How many black British do you see in those places? Exactly. So I thought as an American, like as a foreign person coming, it'd be harder. So that's quite interesting. No, No, I mean, do you know how many times people would say to me, sorry, I don't want to, I didn't mean to speak over you. Do you know how many times people would say to me, oh, you're American. Like I got that all of the time. Uh, as soon as I opened my mouth, they'd go, oh, you're American, right? Yeah. And and I knew that that meant something for people. It was that whole American-y, dreamy thing, like the old the Americans and before pre some oh, other times in history. Pre some other times in history. But <laughs> yeah. my point is, you know, it was always like, oh, you're from America. Where are you from in America? And blah, 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 blah. And it, it, it was this thing because I, I think about the experiences of my husband, who's British, who's a black British born person, mm-hmm. and my son, who's a black, and their experience is very different than mine. Ah, right? Okay. Their experience was very different than mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and people will say that it's different in the UK than it is in the US, but it's not. It just depends on what group you're from. It that's just depends. interesting that you have that observation. For me, yeah, yeah, that's my perspective. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, if you look, if again, if you look around, people will say, "Well, we don't have that kind of racism here." Well, where are all the black people? In, if yeah. you go into these organizations, where yeah, are they? Exactly. You know, that- where are they? And people yeah. will say, "Well, it's not racism. What it is is that you know people just kind of hire folks who look like them, or blah 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 blah." And that is also bias, and which kind of leads to racism. And yeah. so there's. That stuff we haven't tackled in the UK properly, and people are, don't want to tackle it in the UK, right? But I mean, yeah. you can see it exists. Do you remember the Christmas ads that came out last year and how people acted? Yeah, well, yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I mean, where is that? Like, <laughs> yeah, you see no, the football true. players who are playing, and people are throwing banana peels. I mean, come on! Why yeah. the fact that people are pretending this doesn't exist is really a I don't. I, it's beyond reproach for me. Yeah. No. No. Now I hear you on that. I think it's quite interesting how. I don't know. I don't know if you would say. I guess white Americans, how they sort of react to sort of the racism in in the US, but in the UK, definitely in denial, definitely in denial to what's going on. So that's um that's interesting. And then, so how has it been then in terms of you mentioned your kids, sort of seeing the barriers that they face. Have you ever felt like you know because a lot of Black Brits now gone off to America, super successful. Do you ever feel like you know what? Don't waste your time here. Go somewhere else in the world or how do you sort of approach that don't waste your time where uk or the US? uk yeah because a lot of people from the uk like black brits are going into the us whether that's for entertainment i know even like some of my friends who work in like banking they're out in new york you know dallas doing amazingly well and the kind of you know the saying is kind of like you know what don't waste your time here in the uk yeah you know it's the it's the, uh, it's, the uh, it's the accents just like it's the accent for me it's the accent oh, for you okay. they love that thing trap. they're like oh my god oh my god like the accent speak, say something <laughs> i mean it's that whole thing right yeah. and so and so it is that thing and and the thing about yeah, it is. It's a part of that, right? Like, my mm-hmm. husband does beautifully here. He's here now, obviously, in the U.S. Okay, yeah. And people yeah. are like, oh, my gosh, I love your accent. Say something. And he's like, say something. Well, you know, but, you're but, like, yes, yeah, speak. I'm like, use it, brother. Use it. We need some things. Use Come on, it. Use yeah, it. exactly. So, I'm like, what are you talking about? And my kids, like, tried really hard to lose their accents when we got here. And my mm-hmm. youngest doesn't have an accent at all. And now she's like fully American now. Um, but oh, my elder one, my middle one, who's 16, still has hers a bit. And mm-hmm. and she's like, mommy, I, I didn't listen to you. And I wish I would have because she's still, she has like a hybrid kind of thing. Oh, and, um, and so people can hear it. It'll be like, and she'll use, she still uses very 
British words, right? Okay. And so you can tell with her, you can't tell with my younger. So my eldest has never lived in the U.S. So he's always been in the U.K. He's still there mm-hmm. now. So he had completely British. He comes here and the girls are like, oh my gosh. So it's a, it's a, it is, there is something about being able to leverage your otherness culturally mm, yeah. in the space and the people are really quite intrigued by. Yeah. I love that you're saying that because somebody, I was having a conversation with uh, one of my friends who moved to Nigeria recently and they were saying the same thing to me. They were saying, cause we're looking at doing more stuff with um, women in, in Nigeria and Ghana. And I was kind of scared. I was like, Oh my God, how is it going to be like no. a black British woman? And he was like, that's well, going to be your advantage. Fine. Yeah. They, they will love that. Yeah. They so, will love that. They will yeah. love that. I he spent a lot of time that. with a lot of people in Nigeria and a lot of people in Ghana and they would love that. Yeah, so that's quite interesting. It's good to it's good to know in terms of just thinking sort of um the bigger, wider and bigger. And now you're an entrepreneur. Um how is that going from corporate space to you know working for yourself? Crazy. And, yeah, boss. Crazy. Do you <laughs> what are the battle scars? Any battle scars? Like what has it been like? Cause how long has it been since you 2014. 2014. Okay. So how has that experience been? Are you still kind of transitioning because it can take a while yeah transition for 10 years um i think here's the thing i think everybody thinks they want to be an entrepreneur don't like unless you're really prepared to hang (laughs) off the edge of a cliff like chill like like understand (laughs) that you're happy and comfortable no seriously i mean like i tell people all the time like you know they're like people will say go out and start your own business do your own thing okay here's the first thing the first thing is make sure you can support yourself for five years without a cent of income without a single pence of income, pence or cents of income before, give yourself five years. That's number one. If you're not prepared to do that, don't do it. That's number Mm -hmm. one. Number two, ask yourself what you're prepared to risk. Yeah. Because if you're really all in, you're going to risk something. We we downsized and sold our house twice. Who's going to, if you're not prepared to do some stuff like that, if you have to, I did, I down, I sold my house to pay my payroll when I had to. And so I'm saying that you, you need to be really all in, especially if you're going to employ other people, you Mm -hmm. need to be really prepared because when you employ other people, you're responsible for their livelihoods and livelihoods of their families. So you can't be messing about, right? So you might have to make some really hard choices about yourself that will impact your own life to protect the lives of the people that who work with you. Yeah. Right. And their livelihoods. And so, Mm -hmm. um, depending on what that looks like for you and what you're planning to do. And I don't, try to dissuade people from being entrepreneurs. I just say you need to strap on your boots and be ready because something like, I think something like 80% of people go back after 12 months, go back yeah. into time work. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, so I've heard here's that. the thing, plan for a break or plan for a sabbatical, but that doesn't mean you need to be an entrepreneur. Plan for time to give yourself time to recharge if that's what it is. Be really clear about whether you really want to be an entrepreneur and understand that there's no paycheck coming mm-hmm. unless you make it happen. Yeah. And unless you can make it rain yourself, um, <laughs> and it's not going to be that every two week thing and le- or every month thing, unless mm. you make it happen every month and that it may be different amounts every month, unless you're really clear. So it's just, I think that people ha- fall into the kind of glamorization of what entrepreneurship is yeah. and don't do the planning and the planning is the thing. Yeah, I, 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 I hear you on that, but I guess with all that and all of those risks though, okay, what is it about being you know, your own boss and working for yourself that appeals to you then rather than sort of, you know, earning your pee in the corporate space? Um, I think that I did my stuff in the corporate space. That's number one is that I got, to, I did what I wanted to do. Okay. I mean, I sit on corporate boards now, so I don't, so I still sit on boards of, of companies, 
So I'm fine with that. Like I still have my toe in and I can still kind of touch those things and do those things. But I, I think the thing that it gave me was a level of flexibility. But I can tell you this. I don't know that I would do it again. I'm deeply really? into it. I don't know that I would. I mean, I'm being honest. I don't know that mm-hmm. I would want to struggle like this. It was hard for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and, and I did it. There were circumstances that got me to that. Right. That made that made me keep my feet in. A part of it was I was living in the U.S. My husband hadn't moved yet. I had my daughters by myself and I needed the flexibility because he wasn't here. Mm -hmm. Right. And I had to kind of like figure this thing out with my kids. And so I knew if I went into because of the level of organization that I was in when I left, Mm -hmm. I know the level of organization I would go into another job that requires 70, 80, 90 percent of your time. Mm. I wouldn't have had time to raise my children. And I wanted my kids to know who I was. And my oldest one doesn't. He does, but he doesn't know me as well as the younger ones do because he didn't have me in the same way they have me. Yeah, that's a, that's a deep thing then. So it kind of was more of a lifestyle choice, a personal choice for you. Kind of, kind yeah. of, but, it, but the lifestyle choice also meant, you know, downsizing and losing everything I had to do that for a period of time. That's right? I mean, tough. really downsizing. How I was really that? Horrible. That is, because I, ima- I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Um, horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. It was horrible. Yeah. It was. And, it and was how did terrible. you get through it, though? How did you get through it? Was it your, fr- was it your friends, family? Like that resilience. Prayer. 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 Yeah. I prayed like nobody's business. I'm telling you something. I had a straight line to Jesus on that one. Because yeah. it was crazy. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. Yeah, you need the straight line. Every day I was like, like oh, yeah. God, 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 God. Yeah. Oh, God, my God, help God. Whatever God you can think of. I yeah. was praying. And I prayed to all of them. I was like, okay, whoever, wherever you are, I need you to come on and help yeah, us. Throughout. Like, this is really bad. Yeah. It's really tough. Um, I, pr- I did I did go deeply into myself, into meditation and prayer, like for real, because I had to remind myself that I'd be okay all the time. I did have a crazy network, you know, with my family and friends and stuff like that who really kind of helped me through some really crazy, hard, tough times. Mm-hmm. That is, yeah. I think I appreciate your honesty because a lot of, I'm kind of, I've got a sort of a, a similar-ish journey. So I kind of did entrepreneurship, didn't plan for it. And then I was like, I- I'm tired of being broke. Went back to work <laughs> and just so, and sorted myself out financially, like just getting myself stable. So hearing you say that, and then now I'm kind of um, a couple of months in, I'm back into full-time entrepreneurship, but I had to really think about it. But I'm kind of happy that I this is my second time because I know like how bad it can get and I know I can kind of handle it if that makes sense. But it's interesting mm-hmm. to hear that, okay, it wasn't just me, like because you don't... It's everybody. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You just don't know. I never really hear people speak honestly. You just hear like, okay, I've raised a million. Or I'm, I've got a six-figure business. And then I'll be sitting there like, damn, I'm just trying to, do you know what I mean? Like, me, get to the meeting. Here's the thing. The six-figure, a six-figure business is not going to get you to retirement. Yeah. That's yeah, what you need. Exactly. So that's yeah. cute. not getting you to retirement. I mean, yeah. it's like real-life retirement, given what, pen, what pensions look like these days, you need more yeah, than a six-figure business to yeah. retire. Yeah, exactly. So that's cute. And mm-hmm. I hats off to the six-figure business owners. So I'm not minimizing anything, but you got to think future too. So it's it's fine to survive and to make money in this moment, but what are you going to be able to sock away to live when you can't work? Exactly. And yeah. and so unless you can answer that question, you need to stay at work. Yeah. Because that's the like that's and, and I don't. It doesn't mean you shouldn't build because mm-hmm. you should, and and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't risk something, because I'm all about risking something, but make sure it makes sense, because everybody isn't cut out to be an entrepreneur. 
Yeah, yeah. I, Everybody I definitely is agree. Yeah, Everybody I definitely is agree. Yeah, and, and I'm kind of always, yeah, just trying to tell people, look, not trying to put you off the same as you, but you have to, I think you have to know the realities and be prepared and it's not as glamorous. But though I don't know because it's interesting because I, the second time round, I did think I'd have more time to kind of do like go to the shops, you know, pop into Harrods, have a look what's in India. I've had no time. And it's no. just so funny what you think that you're kind of your friends who are entrepreneurs are doing. It's like, no, you're, you're, no, you're grinding busy. it out. You're busy. Your diary's packed. You're grinding it out. You're trying to make money, trying to get investment or do, you know, meetings or in, in your case, traveling. So it's not the glamorous. It's not fun. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. It's nice. But it is um, like it is true. Like you, you're eating what you 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 only eat what you kill. So if you ain't mm-hmm. killing it, you ain't eating. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna have to kind of get a move on and figure yeah. out how you're gonna do it because you and the and gaps in your calendar, gaps in your diary is times when you're not making money. And like you know your holidays, you have to pay for those. You, nobody's paying you while you're on holiday. Exactly. So there's no holiday for mm-hmm. a lot of people for a long time. Yeah. You know, so all those things are true. And so, you know, while, again, I love being an entrepreneur, I think it's great. It isn't like, I wouldn't necessarily, if I didn't have kids, I probably wouldn't do it. Okay, it's interesting. I do it for them more than for myself. And I do <laughs> like the flexibility of being able to do things when I want. But the reality is I'm much more client-driven now than I was before. Because now I really have to answer my clients. Because they, yeah, exactly. they pay my bills. So I really got to respond. Exactly. <laughs> I really have to respond exactly. in a way that keeps them happy because mm-hmm. they are paying your bills more directly. Yeah, no, I definitely. I, I love um, that you've just shared that so openly because it really does sort of give a you know the realistic picture about entrepreneurship. But I'm I'm excited about leadership for execs. It's quite a new because I know you've you've kind of been doing a lot of um, things up s- since leaving JP Morgan. But Leadership for Execs, what is this business um, about and what do you do? So there are three kind of core components of, of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, there are 22 people in it. Okay. Um, it has, and that's what I was talking about in terms of having to pay people and their livelihood. you got to be ready. Yes. Um, the first component is executive coaching. So we usually coach people who are CEO to CEO minus two, so two, two levels down from the CEO mo- mm-hmm. at, the, at the most. Um, there are six coaches in that part of the business who do varying things. Mm-hmm. Um, the second part of the business is leadership development design and curriculum curriculum development and design and mm-hmm. facilitation. So we facilitate the programs that we develop. So like a company might come to us and say, we, want, we, we need to develop a women in sponsorship program where we want to do something for our leaders of color or we want to do whatever, mostly in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, but not entirely, probably 65% mm-hmm. In the diversity space, and then 30% kind of more mainstream leadership okay. development. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing is we have a pillar that focuses on um, organizational development specific to Im- the implementation of equity strategies for corporations. So how do we, so, you know, all this stuff is happening. How do we actually embed this? How do we make it a different story than it's been for the last 20 years? What is mm-hmm. What are the organizational things we have to do to be able to truly deal with the things people care about in the diversity space, which is hiring, retention, promotion, mm-hmm. pay equity, representation, right? So how yeah. do we make sure that, those things are done. And so we come into organizations and help them build out those strategies and do the implementation of that over multi-year, so three to five years. Um, And then as a complement to those three pillars, um, I teach at Georgetown University in the U.S. and Howard Universities. Mm -hmm. And so I use a lot of, and at Georgetown, I I actually, I coach on the 
their executive master's in leadership program. And at Howard, I work on their diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. And so I take a lot of the kind of research-based stuff and marry it with the corporate stuff that I already have and that my team already has. So that, you know, it's a, it's a quite compelling and um, and holistic approach to um, the work that we do. That's great. And then so why did you start that this business then? What made you think, okay, I need to do this? So um, the coaching stuff I've been doing my whole career, frankly. Okay. I mean, that's yeah. something as a senior person, a senior woman and a senior person of color, I coached people forever. You know, mentored, mm-hmm. coached the whole nine, sponsored, whatever, from, you know, probably the last. 15, maybe even 20 years. Yeah. Um, and so that was a kind of natural thing because as I left the corporate space, I still got people coming and saying, would you still do this with me? Or would you still That's help good. me do this thing? And so I kind of developed the coaching practice to support that. And then I work with a lot of corporate clients where we're on their coaching roster. So, you know, if somebody needs a coach and you go to HR, we're on the roster of coaches they can choose. And so I needed to build that out in my own company so that I had my own team of people who could handle, you know, the kind of corporate clients that we have. The second piece, my mother has been a, I'd say, social civil rights activist for 50 years. Mm-hmm. And she has a company um, called Intersections Partners with like three or four other people. They're four, three or four partners. And mm-hmm. they have been doing racial equity work specifically. So in okay. 2016, she asked me if I would help them. They do mostly government and education. And she asked if I would work with them to focus on some of the corporate stuff they were doing. And if I wanted to work on some of their their government and educational clients. I was like, yeah, that'll be cool. I'll do it. You know, I could do that as a kind of sidebar. And it mm-hmm. just devolved and developed into my own kind of corporate uh, DE&I implementation stuff from people. I learned from people who've been doing it for, you know, 40 and 50 years. And mm-hmm. so like what it really requires to go into organizations and make those shifts. Um, I've been, I studied under their tutelage and then kind of really launched the corporate programs in my space about three years ago. That's interesting. And what do you think about Not the sudden, I don't want to say the the sudden kind of interest, but diversity and and inclusion has always been a tough, a a tough, a tough game. So I've worked in it for pretty much most of my career. And then it just feels for me as a professional, you know, we've been trying to sort of really sort of drum certain things home to some, you know, execs and colleagues. But then obviously with the Black Lives Matter sort of resurgence in 2016, it just seems okay, right now that's, uh, you know, hot on the list for business leaders. What do you think about that? I think that it was not Black Lives Matter that did it. It was George Floyd. It was George Floyd. George Floyd, Nobody yeah. cared in 2016. They cared mm-hmm. about, I mean, honestly, nobody cared in 2016, mm-hmm. right? It, it all became a thing It when, you know, post-George Floyd, mm-hmm. right? And I think a part of it is people, I think that a lot of people didn't really understand. I think for the first time people saw Mm. For whatever reason, and I think maybe because we were still, you know, the news cycles weren't flying as they were. I mean, you know, we were all kind of in a place. And and suddenly you had all these folks who were like, wait, what? Who really hadn't been paying attention in the same way. Mm -hmm. And I think that what it gave people of color, Black people and people of color, was suddenly a voice in something. And they could say, hey, yeah, and guess what else happens to me at work? Like this, I might not be being killed, but here's the thing. And the interesting thing is since that May of 2020, the only thing that's really changed is our expectations of what we want. Nothing's changed mm-hmm. in terms of the the actual yeah. shifts mm-hmm. in organizations to be able to support Black people and people of color. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I do the work that I do. 
because yeah. it really is about help. And, and let me just explain something else. It is not always about will. It's not always about people not wanting to. It's often about people not knowing how to. Yeah. And, we, and, and, I, and like I say, when I said our, only our expectations have changed, our expectations have changed, but not the skill of the people that we're talking about. So I don't know how we expect to look to people who've never had to even think about this stuff before to solve for it. I, it's just mm-hmm. not possible. It makes no sense. Yeah. And so people are like, well, I want my leaders to do this. Really? Why? Because they don't know, they, they didn't do it before. Do Why would it, they do yeah. it? How are they going to know? What toolkit do they have to do it now? Mm-hmm. Right? And so I think that we have to be realistic about the capabilities of people. And there are some people who are, who are absolutely not, don't have the will. But most people just don't have the how. Just don't know the how. Yes. Yeah. So we need to just help and them so, with the how. Yeah. It, it, it's not so simple, but 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 yeah. it's... And people are differing levels of understanding. We do a lot of capacity building work with leaders mm-hmm. um, to get them to even have an established, consistent baseline. People mm-hmm. are all over the all over the houses, but we have these expectations around what they know, and as a result, we get a different version of the same thing because people can only do what their experience provides for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in terms of just that that piece, then, so the work that you're doing is you're saying people are at different stages in terms of their kind of insights and then capabilities do you take them from where they are and then to get them to where they need to to be basically with your work yeah I mean that's a part of the work but I think you know the other reality is that everybody doesn't want to do it to either and mm-hmm. so a part of this so you, a part of this is understanding that you got to identify your advocates like who are the people who really want to be engaged mm-hmm. who are the people who don't necessarily want to but but know that we need to Mm-hmm. And we'll get engaged. And then who are the people that are just not, who are not going to get engaged? And the people who aren't going to be engaged, you can't be mad at folks for not wanting to be engaged. You can just, you can just have an expectation that they're not obstructionist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let people be, be, if they're not ready, then don't push them for goodness sake. Yeah. Because you'll get a whole bunch of drama. Right. But, but what you can demand is that they're not obstructionist. Yeah. And, and let the people who were, you know, kind of like, I will get engaged and the advocates do their work. Yeah, move organizations that, along. Yeah, that's good advice. You're also a non-executive director for a number of uh, corporations. You mentioned earlier. I saw that you recently got another one. It was a, a, a bank. So congratulations on <laughs> on that. And when I was um, reading that, it made me think of um, there was an interview that Oprah talked about um, her experience about her um, her being on the boards of other companies, and she was saying, you know despite being the richest black woman in the world, I did feel that kind of um, like not imposter syndrome, but I did experience that feeling of being the only one. And I didn't know if you could relate to her experiences um, or what is your experience like being sort of at that level, at the highest level in terms of, you know, global business. I've always been the only one. Yeah. So <laughs> That's like, the one. Yeah. And, I mean, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, I don't say that as a badge of honor. Mm. I'm just saying that I'm not uh that I know that I don't think that anybody hired me or asked me to join a board because of, of my color by any stretch. Yeah. Partially though, partially, yes. Partially because of the diversity thing. Absolutely. And yeah. I think everybody would agree with that. And that's okay. Like, I don't mind. I didn't get there because of that. That might've been the thing. They might say, you know, we want a person of color. We want a woman of color. Maybe that's what they said. And they looked and they saw me, but I still got there because I could do it. That's mm-hmm. number one. So I don't really look around too much and I'm like, but sometimes I feel like, oof, yeah, it is a little bit interesting. And now that I'm so aware and I'm so steeped in the work, I'm a lot more like, 
looking around, like, who's here? <laughs> you know, what's, mm. what does this look like? But it doesn't impact my ability. And I also know that I'm there to do a role. I'm there to do a job. I'm there to make sure that organizations become more diverse. And I can do that from those seats. Mm-hmm. Right. I can I can help them to do that. And I know what they need to do to have mm-hmm. kind of some, a, a lot of what they need to do to shift that. And so that's a part of the role that I play in those organizations is, is having that conversation about what the shifts look like and how I might shift it. And what do you have in your, I guess, arsenal for sort of those difficult conversations? <laughs> I mean, I guess it <laughs> depends on what the conversation is. Yeah. Um, honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, grace, granting people grace, because granting people grace and assuming best intentions, that's the one thing, grant people grace and assume best intentions because most people are well-intentioned based upon what their lens is. Right. That's a good, and understanding that everybody has their own lens and experience is important. Yeah. Brilliant. I want to move on to, um, to find out about what you're like, what would you say you're like as a friend? Like who is India as the girlfriend? What are you, what would you say you're like? A typical Sagittarius. I'm going to tell you the truth. Okay. Yeah. Like, that, the honest friend. <laughs> I'm the honest friend. Yeah. Um, I'm loyal. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, but I, but I'm also like the friend that doesn't talk to you all the time. Like I don't really like the phone that much. So okay. I don't really want to talk to you. I uh, love you. Yeah, But I'm much more of an in-person person. Like, I don't like getting on the phone and being on the phone. Like, I have too many other things to do that I want to spend time on a phone. I so, see, I, yeah. you know, I'm, um, so I'm not the one that talks the most. I'm not the one that texts all the time. Like, I'm not that person. But mm-hmm. I am super reliable if you need something. Like, I'm the person people call when they need something. Okay, which I'm okay with great. because I'm that friend. Like, I'm like, okay, what do you need? What, we, what do I need to do? Mm-hmm. But I'm not the one who you can call every day and chat to because I'm not, I, I just don't have the energy for phones in that yeah. way. No, I love and that. And tr- truly, I don't really love people that much, but 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 I'm good yes. <laughs> with people. Like, I like myself. I like spending time yes. by myself. And, ma- and a part of that, I like people a lot more before, but a part of it is not having enough space for myself. And so Damn. I really have to carve that out. And so um, as a friend, I would say I'm really loyal. I'm the go-to if you need something. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, but I'm, I'm the person that you... I want to be invited, but I probably won't come. I'm one of those. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> I'm that person. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being completely me. honest. I'm going to just decline. <laughs> I, might, I might not decline, but okay. I might. Right? Okay. And, and, and the thing is, is that I really, again, it, depend, it depends on your stage in life. Mm. And right now I have 12 and 16-year-old daughters who need my time. So I'm not going to be spending my time with, you know, I love my friends, but there are people that I have to raise to be humans. Yes. And I have to work. Mm-hmm. I have a job and I have to raise my kids to be be good humans. And if I don't put in the time to do that, then I might get something else. And so I yeah. need to be focused on them. Maybe I'll have time and be more interested when I have more time that I don't have to spend with my kids. But what I don't want to do is for my kids to look up and be like, where's my mom? Yeah, it's really important. You know, I have to work yeah. as it is. So, yeah. you know, and I have to travel as it is for work. So what I also don't want to do is spend the time that I have not pouring into them. I see. So a, a prioritization. And I wondered then, because you, you touched on a bit about finding time for yourself. And I ask a lot, all of our guests this question. I ask them what is on their joy list. So, you know, what brings you joy for you? Like what things th- that you, d- Shopping. you do for yourself? Okay, shopping. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a real shopper. Yeah. I'm a real shopper. 
But not, but you know, the thing is, is I'm not necessarily, that's not necessarily a buyer, but I'm a shopper. Like I will walk around and be looking all day. I love doing that. Like I could walk all day Mm -hmm. and window shop and shop. Sometimes I buy, but I'm really a shopper. I like doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, I love traveling. Okay. So this pandemic thing has been a lot for me because I don't really, I won't travel like personally really as much during the pandemic. I'll do it for work, but not necessarily personally. But travel would have been a thing that really brings me a lot of joy. I love going to really amazing, beautiful places. Um, that's I would say those are the big things. And I love my family. Like they, like they bring me a lot of joy. Like I have so much fun with like my husband and my kids and my parents are moving in with me, which I'm really excited about. I love the multi-generational thing. Yeah. My parents don't need to. I mean, they're still quite young, but I told them I want them to come while I don't need them here. I want them to come while we can still enjoy each other That's amazing. instead of when I need to take care of them. So they'll already be mm-hmm. in the house and we can just kind of hang out. My mom can really cook too. So I'm oh, really excited brilliant. about them coming. So they're moving yeah. in about a month. So it's really exciting. That is That's so awesome. Joy. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's kind of funny you say that because like I was in such a rush to like move out um, of my mom's house and I live on my own. And now I want to live, I want to go back home. Like just because I love, I think I really love that concept of being with my family and being with my parents when, like <clears> you <throat> said, when you can really enjoy them. So it's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a few of my friends and actually, yeah, like, the dynamics of what you know family life is is like has changed so I love that I definitely think that that yeah. rocks that rocks yeah I left when I was 17 as well I yeah. left home when I was 17 wow you know and I'm now in my 50s mid and my parents are coming yeah. with me so it's been yeah. you know 40 years mm-hmm. or 35 years since since we lived in the same house but it's 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 a delight to be able to look after them as long as they looked after me yeah no I love that I love that Right, we're coming up to the end and we have um, a quick game called Quick Shots. So it kind of plays on the theme about the drinking, but there's no shots. It's just you have to give me a quick, you can just do a virtual shots. You have to give me a quick uh, answer to a question that I'm going to I'm gonna ask you. So okay. the first question is, can you tell us about a trip that changed your life or was the most memorable? I went to this place called Sun Moon Lake in Taiwan, okay. which was... Just one of the most beautiful places in the world that I've ever been. Mm-hmm. And as a trip, I'm, I didn't count the living places, but as a trip, that was probably one of my most memorable. Ah, brilliant, brilliant. If you mess up big time at work, who's the first person you call and why? It's between my mom and my husband because I call my mother like five times a day. We have like an ongoing dialogue five times a day. Yeah. Um, between one of those two, I'd say my mom or my husband. Uh, I'm not sure where. Yeah. But it depends on, actually depends on who answers the phone first. <laughs> so, whoever answers first, yeah. <laughs> one of the two of them, I would say. Oh, brilliant. And what's, what, was, what has been or what was the toughest time in your career? This whole entrepreneurial journey. Mm-hmm. I yeah. would say has been the has been the worst. I actually was thinking yesterday I was I was driving that a part of it I actually was thinking like wow maybe it was this morning. I was thinking, wow, like you know how like you learn things over the course of your career when you get to a point like I'm like, you know, thirty something years in and I feel like I know a whole lot. And I was thinking like it wasn't necessarily intentional, but I was thinking about that learning journey. Mm-hmm. that you take and how hard that is, frankly, for people in general. Like, oh, I was thinking like, oh my gosh, if I had to start from the beginning right now, I don't know what I would do. Um, but yeah, I think that's, yeah. That was the first time. And the last one is, uh, what is the single most important thing that our listeners can do to future-proof their careers? 
I don't think you can. Okay. I don't think you can future-proof anything. Like, we can't read the future. We don't have crystal balls. I would say that if you really want to future-proof, then stop trying to plan everything and let things emerge. Ah, I love that. I love that. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Inja. We're at the end. We're at time. It was fantastic to, awesome. to have you as a guest. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, with each episode, I have a debrief with my producer, Ryan, and this one is a special one. Ryan, India, what are your thoughts? Uh, India was just absolutely incredible. Um, I was saying to her just after our conversation, she's honestly like my spirit person. Everything she was saying that yeah. was coming out of her mouth was just, wow, like, <laughs> I haven't relate. worked in like yeah I could I could relate <laughs> I haven't done half the things she's done but her approach is yeah it was a, a really really great conversation I'm so glad that we had India on yeah I mean she was it's interesting when you have interview your people that you I, I don't want to say idols but yeah like idol role model you know look up to I had that same thing with Kelechi I was like okay it's quite you have this nervous feeling about are they going to live up to your expectations are they going to be mean sometimes they say don't meet your idols but India like Kelechi was an absolute babe so warm so vibrant she just makes you feel so at ease she just came on like as if you you know you'd known her for a long time really chatty great personality and she just brought loads of energy and just honesty so I just loved you know having the chance to um to interview her I felt really privileged and Yeah. yeah she's awesome just her honesty about so everything, like when we asked her about uh, entrepreneurship and she was yeah. just like, listen, don't do it unless you're prepared to hang on the edge of a cliff. cliff. Yeah, it's honestly was just yeah. incredible because that I think that provides so much balance to what we hear just generally with, you know, mm-hmm. um, entrepreneurship and, you know, you need to hustle harder and um, kind of that the idea that, it's always a viable option for everybody and it isn't unfortunately Mm -hmm. um and Mm -hmm. it's not to put anybody off but it's just to show how real it is and india really showed how real it can be like selling your house and downsizing twice just to like fund payroll and because you've got you know staff that you're looking after and stuff it's like that's real imagine those conversations she's had to have in her home like guys it's tough you know it's hard it's hard it's it is hard. tough and she's just got a lot of resilience like I really loved how she was very open and frank about she had a hotline to Jesus and it's like <laughs> sometimes you just got to be you know take it back to spirituality yeah you know when you deep it it's like you know she was successful you know working in investment banking yeah to then have to sell your house twice you know I just think that that I just uh, that I can't fathom Mm. what that would do to 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 you you know what i mean and and it just shows how brave she is mm. how strong Definitely. she is um because i was thinking damn like you know i don't even know how i do it i'm just on my ones let alone you know three kids husband you know it's yeah, a lot right. so uh it's just incredible to just sort of hear i like hearing people's like battle stories um i think that's because yeah. that's what we learn from mm. You know, that's exactly. what we learn from it is. It's great yeah. to get all the tips and things like that. Um, but, you know, it's the times when you come across uh, adversity in your own journey and then you start looking for stories or help and you're like, oh, well, no one's actually spoke about this. So I really appreciate yeah. that India has spoken up about those tough times. You know, mm-hmm. it's that's that's where we learn from. So 
particularly yeah. you as well as a as a black female leader um you don't really mm-hmm. hear too much of that so um yeah amazing yeah and I, when she was like listen don't go into entrepreneurship unless you've got you know f- uh, five years <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was like what Whoa. you know e- that's a tough one but yeah but you know but i i, I mean i always i th- i think the the principle is you just need to make sure that you can you know survive for a very yes. long time yes um yeah because it's, it's not going to be difficult yeah. <laughs> yeah it is it is difficult it is difficult and and i think she makes a really good point that i didn't necessarily sort of say it and in, in the go there or in the interview but i agreed with her when she was talking about how you know um this narrative around sort of like everyone you know praising and worshipping that they're making like a six-figure business for example yeah, I love yeah, how she yeah. thinks bigger and mm. I've been having a lot of conversations recently about people who are thinking so much more bigger and I think mm. that was quite interesting you know 22 members of staff she has that's a just a, that's a big boy business so it is it is yeah. and and I, I like what she said you know she's not kind of like putting down anybody but mm. you just got to think realistic in terms of well is that gonna you know get you to retirement you know it's no. nice to have that size business but mm-hmm. you've got we've got to perform better you know if you're going to be living that entrepreneur life you know mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta get what you need to get at the end of the day you know so yeah 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 and and when she said I saw a lot of myself on her when she said oh as a leader I'm very empathetic yes. um but I'm demanding and that is me <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. I am empathetic I'm kind I think I'm a, a, a lovely person but as a boss I'm demanding like and I just felt I saw myself in that and I thought okay it's okay it's okay, it's okay to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's because okay. I think um, uh, a struggle for people is that how do I be demanding, but also how do I be empathetic? Like, do, do, do is it like oil and yeah. water or can I be both? And you can, you, you can. can be both. It's just about yeah. what she said. You have to stand for something. You can't be sitting on the fence. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, sitting on the fence doesn't help anybody essentially. Exactly. So no, I, I felt her, that honestly. was really, really good. Yeah. No, her honesty and her ownership in everything that she does is just super powerful and um, super yeah. inspiring. Yeah. She's phenomenal. Like so incredible. And even just thinking about like how she, you know, travels. she's a very much like a woman of the world and mm. she's all about you know, new experiences. I mean, she, you know, looking at her, you know, bio, she's going to like, you know, Hong Kong, Japan, like the yeah. Far East as a black woman back in those days, that's yeah, not man. an easy thing to do. And I just feel like, wow, how did you do that? It's, it's, it's just incredible. Like her career trajectory and what she's um, achieved. She's just achieved so much. And the whole idea about, like mastering your craft and, yes oh yes you know getting yes. into the corner office but to do that you know you have to You've got to be know your stuff you have to know your stuff That's and she definitely basic. knows her stuff yeah I think people forget the very basics just do your job well a lot mm. of people want to be the boss they want to be you know in charge and to focus on doing the basics right yeah. get a good business in, in place get good team and then you can go out and start yeah. singing and praising and people yeah. forget that I was having I was voice noting my friend Remy about this we're talking about this that people just want to sort of have the sort of dong and dance and be a leader mm. and you haven't got the basics you can't provide the basic services it's true you it, know the it, proof it, is it, in the pudding yeah, so India really, I guess, solidified that, you know, as mm. because she's a G, you know, like just saying Absolutely. that. I thought, you know what? <laughs> yes, like tell them, master your craft. Like you have to be good at what you do because people miss that. That's the very basic thing. And I, and I just thought that's so, so key in terms of being successful. If you want to be a leader like India or entrepreneur, be well respected, sit on board. You have to be able to, it's not about, people are chasing, I think, 
in the society, the accolades. Mm, yes. And India is not on the boards because she won on the Black Power list. She's on because of her history and of evidence of delivering and her portfolio and her CV. And so I just hope that our listeners take that on board, that that's why she is where she is. Do you know what? That's really powerful, especially in this day and age of, you know, of lists and stuff like that, that are quite mm. alluring for people. And, and also that make people feel, it makes the people on the list feel good and pretty much makes everybody else feel bad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but also it, it doesn't necessarily reflect on your business itself, right? So it's mm-hmm. about just delivering and own, owning what you do and how good you are but also your weaknesses which is what india was touching on about how being such a you know a big picture thinker can make her miss the details sometimes i felt that was such a powerful thing for her to especially in her position to own up to and to to own Mm -hmm. it was because yeah i'm the same (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can yeah. relate to to, to to parts of what she was saying about your short attention span. I have the worst attention span ever, and just hearing her talk about that, I just yeah. thought, you know what? Well, like, my future's bright then, so I can just carry on <laughs> and crack on. Because yeah, I can't, I can't. Literally, I, I get so bored. Yeah. Um. Um. Like even just like it's interesting. I'll, I'll go to a party, and I'm like. After thirty minutes, I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to All go. Right, yeah, I'm out. I've, yeah, like I can't concentrate anymore. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I've done a great time. I want to go now and home and to do. Like, I just cannot. Like, I can't. Like, I just get my attention span is um is short. It's so bad. But and yeah, part owning doing that. the podcast. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we love the podcast. You have to like, you know, you have to be, you know, in, into true. the conversation. Yeah, but do you know what? A podcast is almost like real life in that sense, where you're in a conversation, so you're present, you're here. Mm, you know, exactly. With with a lot of other things, you can just be easily distracted and know, you know like want, wanting to do something. Oh, yeah, I hate meetings. meetings. Yeah. I hate <laughs> meetings because yeah. I just can't focus. So, so like even for me now, like I've just I've cut down all my meetings to fifteen minutes. I'm just like because I can't, I can't, I can't. The yes, most I'll have is twenty five minutes. Like because yeah. yeah, I can't. Well, that's what can't Joe Owen was saying, wasn't he? Exactly. Episode, that's one of the yeah. reasons why though as well yeah. because that. But also, I just can't. I, I can't do long meetings anymore. It's just. Yeah. I can't can't concentrate. So yeah, such such a good thing. Um, yeah. And what she was saying about um, her as a friend as well. Mm, that about... was that was funny. Yeah, <laughs> and I just owning up to that like was hers. awesome. Yeah. Yes, how she owns up to you know what? Like I'm a good friend. I'm loyal. So she's there for her friends, but she just doesn't necessarily want to be kiki and on the phone and texting. Mm. She's a face to face person, yeah. and she prioritizes her family and herself. Mm. And I loved that. It was very refreshing that where she was like, you know what? Sometimes I want to be invited, but I might not come. Yeah. And that's just real. <laughs> like it's, you always had those friends where, you know, like, okay, they might not come and you have to accept people for who they are. And you have to know that you're not, you are not everyone's priority. Mm. So, you know, if you're a friend and you, you have, you're having a party, don't get upset because people can't attend or things have come up because you're not the priority in everyone's life you need to be the priority in your own life like india (laughs) yes (laughs) you can't expect and so i just thought to myself that was so real oh so awesome india we absolutely just love this conversation if you if you listened all the way through thank you just know that we love you and uh, yeah absolutely inspired by this (laughs) absolutely it was so great thank you thank you I really hope you enjoyed this episode and for joining me for After Work Drinks. If you learned anything from this episode, please do share with someone you think would benefit. Don't forget to leave me a comment with what you learned along with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. 
it really helps other people like yourself find the show. Follow us on Instagram on at Afterwork Drinks Club. A special thank you goes to Blue Water and to Pure Creation Media for producing this episode. <laughs>